This was sent to me and I want to share it with you. It was simply called Breaking News. This is to inform you that our beloved and well-known friend, Mr. 2023, is retiring on the 31st of December, 2023. His 12 wives, 52 children, and 365 grandchildren will be attending the grand send-off on this Sunday, the 31st day of December at 23 hours and 59 minutes. However, his family members asked me to inform you that all that he is retiring with is all your problems, sickness, disappointments, frustration, untimely death, shame, disgrace, barrenness, discouragement, failure, and rejection still on the records. We can't do away with them, can we? They're still there. It's how we deal with them. Now here's a bit of reality for you. The flipping of a calendar page brings both pros and cons for many people. One noted counselor has written, New Year can bring increased levels of stress, anxiety, money worries, relationship challenges, career concerns, and changes. We find at times that we can become so wound up with feelings of stress, anxiety, and worries inside our minds, we can often spend days, if not longer, feeling poorly and suffering from actual illness. No matter how many times you hear someone say, on well, New Year's Eve is a totally arbitrary holiday, which you'll probably hear me say at one time, or that the concept of January as a fresh start is bogus, the end of the year can still feel somehow very significant. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Structure and routines can add meaning to our lives. And for some people, the turning of the calendar page might feel comforting. But the start of a new year doesn't bring glass-clinking feelings for everyone. And reflecting on the past 12 months might not be so enjoyable if you've had one of those years. For a lot of people, the end of the year doesn't bring glowy, reminiscent feelings and may even stir up anxiety and dread. If that's where you're at, take heart. There are a few passages, a few teachings in the Bible that can help you reframe the new year or at the very least, make it easier to ignore. In 1988, Bobby McFerrin hit it big with a song titled, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. We need to remember that the context of today's scripture, Matthew 6, 19-34, is a section of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus' focus is upon our relationship to or what we should be doing regarding our material possessions. 
And Jesus gives four sayings of which we've already looked at the first three. That we are not to amass wealth on earth. Instead, we are to be generous. And then thirdly, that it's impossible to serve God and money. And this morning, our focus is on the fourth and final concern regarding money issues. And that is the context. To not be anxious about material concerns, but seek wholeheartedly the kingdom of heaven. The final section still concerns money issues. And we need to notice that Jesus does not, as some people teach, He does not instruct us to be indifferent toward life. And so our text for this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God add His blessings to our reading of His Word. Here's the reality of the matter. It's that laying up treasures on earth is not going to help us as much in the long run as it's going to bring us all kinds of sorrows. In this section of the sermon, Jesus cautions against becoming so frantic about material concerns or an uncertain tomorrow that we become too distraught to even function. In his commentary, on the sermon, his half-brother James, son of Mary and Joseph. He says, these are useless worries because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. What bothers James is simply the presumption that people think that it's possible to so determine our future that we are able to make death definitive, definite plans entirely on the worldly plane in which the chief value is financial profit. And so James raises a question, what is your life? 
And he issues a pretty stern indictment. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now at one level, planning for business is necessary. In fact, it's important as we look to the days, weeks, and months ahead that we set some goals. That we think in terms of how we can improve as a person. But at another, such planning is foolish. Especially when we become anxious and filled with worry for tomorrow is actually out of our hands. Maybe James and Jesus both had Proverbs 27.1 in mind, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let me tell you about something that happened to a very good friend of mine, minister friend. He was invited to be the guest speaker at a church. And as he was getting ready to do his invitation, he said, which I've said before, he said, you could get in your car following the service, drive out this driveway, and be struck by a vehicle and killed in a moment's notice. And all of a sudden, the congregation broke out in sobs. What he didn't know, and probably using an illustration like that at a church that he was not aware of a lot of history, was just months earlier one of the leading members had in fact driven out that driveway following church and was killed in an accident at the end of the driveway. But we don't know, do we? That's why I try, as I did the other night, Friday, I, I tried to get around and make sure I got to every single one of my family members and gave them a kiss and said, I love you. Think with me of an artist painting an illustration for us from the world of the flowers and the birds. He's trying to support the admonition of Jesus not to worry. You see, the statement of Jesus is not difficult if we consider them as ordinary remarks about birds and flowers. Because Jesus' words have painted a rich landscape that illustrates our Father's care. It's a picture of a caring Heavenly Father feeding the birds without them having to sow or reap. An ideal world that contrasts with a hurry-scurry world of our own. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. And so Jesus then asks, if the Heavenly Father takes care of the birds, are we not of more value to Him than they? Why wouldn't the Father also take care of us? 
You see, Jesus is trying to awaken our imagination with a picture of the Father's nurture of the birds. And the second stage of the, of the argument pictures the lilies of the field that neither toil nor spin, and yet they increase. Wild flowers that are not merely clothed, they are clad with a grandeur that cannot be matched, he says, even by Solomon, decked out in all his glory. And then Jesus switches the direction of his argument. It's not easily noticeable, but by calling these breathtaking flowers the grass of the field, it should be clear by now that Jesus is not being sentimental about birds and flowers. But what we don't know and would have known if we lived in that first century was that the grass of the field was a standard image for something that was worthless. And Jesus deliberately stresses the paradox between the glorious beauty of the flowers and yet their final insignificance. Today, the beauty of the flowers stun the observer. Tomorrow, they're thrown into the oven as fuel. I, I can say this since he's not here. But just again, last week, my wife brought me another plant from the house and said, would you put this in your plant hospital? <laughs> And right from the verge of death, it's now green again and, and filling out. If the Heavenly Father is so lavish in clothing field flowers that are destined to be consumed in an oven-like heat of the day, how much more gracious Will he be with us as humans? And when we look at the canvas painted before us, Jesus has painted a masterpiece portraying God as one who makes clothes for the flowers and who prepares meals for the birds. We're led to ask ourselves if our anxious concern to provide bread for ourselves is really necessary. This last week, we were laughing and joking about a week when I was in college that we survived on one hunk of Joel bacon that was given to us and two bags of dried beans that had never been used. And that became our breakfast, our lunch, and our supper for a whole week. Because I have a problem. I'm just too proud sometimes to ask. And I just have a really hard time of taking something that I didn't work for. When we look at the canvas that's painted before us, we need to also notice that the argument is completed by means of three assertions. First, it's necessary to it's unnecessary to be anxious about food and clothing since the heavenly father knows we need these 
So what he says in chapter 6, verse 32, he said it back in verse 8. He'll say it again in chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. We have a hard time with that, don't we? The difference between want and need. I remember when Eric was in high school. Pretty big boy, wearing pretty big shoes, playing a lot of basketball. He came in one day and he said, Dad, I need these shoes. And showed me a picture of some basketball shoes. I said, where are your shoes? And he brought them and showed me and he did need some new shoes. But he didn't need those $170 shoes that he was showing me saying he needed. He wanted those. And so I told him, if you want those shoes, I'll tell you what I'll do. Here's a list of chores. You do these things and that'll account for this amount of the money that you contribute and I'll contribute the other amount that is really more than a pair of shoes that you actually need. And we came to an agreement and he did it. Because I knew as his earthly father that he did need those things. And our Heavenly Father knows that there are some things that we need. But our tendency, maybe you're different than me, our tendency is to put some wants in there and call them needs. Secondly, He points out that it's futile to be anxious since we can't change much anyway. He says none can grow taller by worrying about his height. Verse 27. I don't know if you heard about it, but many years ago, actually decades ago, police departments used to have a minimum height requirement. And there was a story about a young man out in California that wanted so desperately to get on the police department and he was literally not even a half of an inch too short. So, taking desperate means, he had a friend help him by beating him on the head with a two-by-four so that the bruising and the healing would add that little fraction that he needed to make the minimum requirement. I I don't know the follow-up on the story. I don't know if after that he was tall enough but couldn't pass the test. Uh, But there's a lot of things that we can't change. Aren't there? Remember the... uh, prayer that's often been attributed to Augustine and also then to Francis of Assisi. Father, help me to change the things that I can and to relax. I I haven't memorized it, but to relax and, and accept the things that I cannot change, but also mostly to have the understanding, the knowledge to know the difference.
Jesus said, you worry about some things that you can't even change. And then thirdly, he says, anxiously seeking these things is a pagan activity. And you, you might be saying, well, good grief. How would that be a pagan activity? Again, we need to know the first century context. In a letter of Aristeas, A-R-I-S-T-E-A-S, Aristeas, it says that the title men of God is ascribed exclusively to those who worship the true God and not to those who are concerned with meat and drink and clothes, their whole attitude to life being concentrated on these concerns. And he goes on to point out that the pagans pursue all these things only because they do not know God as a loving father and are deceived about what is crucial in life. So let's bring it home. Today's the final day of the year. So I'm sure that many are thinking of the future. If only in terms of the new year and resolutions. I I don't make new year resolutions. I discussed with my wife and we have already agreed that as of Tuesday morning and possibly tomorrow, she's going to join me because I've already started. And we're going to get back to watching closely what we eat and getting back out there and doing the walking to get back in the shape that our Heavenly Father wants us in. I'm not, it's Scripture, it's Bible. Your body is the temple of God. Take care of it, treat it like it's the temple of God. The future was something feared by one and all in the ancient world, since it was believed to be in the hands of fate and fortune. And who knew how the wheel of fortune would spin? Listen to how the vulgar host, Trimalchio, in Petronius's Satyricum, puts on a brave front by toasting the revelers at his dinner party. Well, what comes next you never know. Lady Luck runs the show, so pass the wine. This account reveals a deep-seated anxiety that afflicts everyone at the table. Versnell, in a work titled Religious Mentality in Ancient Prayer, Faith, Hope, and Worship, Aspects of Religious Mentality in the Ancient World. His title's longer than some papers I turned in in high school. (laughs) He points us to a request that was addressed to a legendary magician during the imperial period in Egypt, which discloses how the cares and the worries of ancient humans were little different from those of today. Will I receive my wages? Will I be sold as a slave? Will I get money? Will I sign a contract? Will I be successful? Will I escape? 
Will I become a member of the council? Now according to Jesus, the awareness of God's love for us as we close out another year should cast out all anxiety and allow us to focus on what is important. The kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. Jesus has already proclaimed in his own temptation experience that as humans we do not live on bread alone. Chapter 4, verse 4 of Matthew. And in the parable of the wedding feast, chapter 22, in a passage many view as very difficult, Jesus demonstrates that the most important clothing that we can possess as Christians is that which will keep us from being booted out of the wedding banquet and thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You remember the parable? Nobody's coming, so they go out into the streets and invite people to come in and to get in, and once everybody's in, the master sees somebody that's not in wedding garment. Probably just came off the street. But didn't take the time to go get a wedding garment. So the master of the house says to cast him out. And Jesus says that's what it's going to be like. Why, why do you think the apostles so often say clothe yourselves with these things and then give a list of positive traits and shun these things because if we are not clothed properly we put ourselves at a risk of being cast out so please listen to the challenge that we face as we close the books on another calendar year. Anxiety that, will, that we will not or might not have enough for ourselves will only deter us from being generous to others and seeking first the kingdom of God. In fact, to reuse the metaphor Jesus used, such anxiety will make the eye, the lamp of our bodies, grow dark and thereby drain from the treasures that we can store in heaven. Where are we at today? The last day of the year. What do we need to reflect on? Meditate on? In order to change. To do the things that we know we are supposed to be doing. To act in the way that we know we're supposed to be acting. And to be the kind of witnesses and examples for those who are looking up to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. Yes, the teachings of the sermon are sometimes tough and sometimes seem impossible to not be anxious, to not worry, 
Many nights were awake thinking. Thinking about decisions that need to be made. Help us to learn how to change the things that we can to accept the things that we cannot. And give us, Father, the wisdom to know the difference. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And all God's people said, We're going to sing two verses of the invitation hymn, Just As I Am, number 334. Let's stand. Let's sing. seated for a moment.